All right, guys, how exciting. After a big night in the office yesterday at UFC 266 for Dan Hooker and Alex Volkanovsky, the man behind them, and of course, the world-renowned city kickboxing gym, which, by the way, looks like it might be moving shores, Eugene Barriman joins us back on the show. Eugene, welcome back, man. How are you? Living the Vegas life. Yeah, good, lads. Good. Um, sorry. Just, yeah, it's good to uh, be back in Vegas. Good to be overseas. Um, yeah, Vegas, is, Vegas hasn't changed. Vegas hasn't changed. It's still a, a great city for fight sports. Not somewhere you want to live, though, but you never know. Is that guy still singing on the street? If you put a buck in my cup, then I'll shut the fuck up. Is that guy still out there? He's still around. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because everyone knows the guy. He's like an unofficial celebrity. And by the way, man, speaking of the Vegas experience, you had what looked like a pretty fun time at the NFL Raiders game just earlier today. Um, you don't strike us as someone who likes the big hoo-ha or VIP treatment, <laughs> but what, what was it like, man, being over there at Raiders Stadium and that and those awesome seats with the boys? Yeah, pretty pretty epic. Uh, Sixty thousand people and uh, a game that came down to the wire actually went to overtime, and then the Raiders won it. Um, I just wanted to experience the stadium and then um, just um, live in the moment a little bit, like, like feel 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 the moment with the boys and um, just just like kind of take a bit of their excitement and and um, it was it was pretty cool, but. I think it's what nine thirty, and they're still out, and I took off. So, <laughs> I did. I did my part. I got out of there. Nice. And they're still going. So, it was crazy <laughs> seeing uh, Volkanovski get such a massive cheer from the Vegas crowd. How awesome, man! Seeing him compete yesterday at UFC two sixty six. Now he's at the Raiders game. How awesome! Finally, yeah. Volko getting the recognition that he deserves. <laughs> but, dude, we got to talk about that fight. What a performance! Fight of the year candidate. One of the craziest rounds. That third round. I think all year, but we got to get your thoughts, man. How would you grade Volkanovski's performance, and and how would you describe what you saw? Yeah, I thought it was a masterful performance. Um, yeah, another masterful performance. Another uh, uh, Volk just doing what Volk does, being a very difficult fighter to contend with, um, with with what he brings to the table, and um, being very disciplined. And uh, listening to Joe Lopez and uh, listening uh, to myself and the other coaches and sticking to the sticking to our game plan, uh, a little bit of adversity in the fight, but yeah, I just thought it was just a, a masterful performance. I, I hinted, I mean, I hinted to my team um, internally, of course, because it's something that we, we make public. But I, I hinted to my team that this could be a landslide, just like I hinted to them in the first max fight that it could be a landslide. Um, I thought those was a possibility, and lo and behold, in the first max fight, it was a landslide, and in this fight, it was a landslide. So I was glad to have that little uh, prediction um, come true. Of course, man. Well, I was going to say that a couple of tense moments in that fight. What were you thinking when you saw that crazy guillotine attempt from Ortega? Um, I imagine the corner vibes would have been all over the place at that moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my voice is, I don't know if you guys can notice, but it's definitely a bit croaky. And it's croaky primarily from that round and um, having to put so much effort into yelling at him. Um, yeah, but I mean, part of every submission escape is uh, a lot of technique and stuff, um, which we were blessed on this camp to have uh, Craig Jones uh, uh, working with us. So our technique was on point, but 
Um, I, I believe in that, and that particularly that mounted guillotine. Um, there was a technique, but I believe a big part of the how Alex got out of that was uh, pure heart, and uh, mm. that that's that's a that's an important ingredient when you're escaping a submission as well. It's just having the willpower and a heart not to give up and and keep fighting. And I believe, um, yeah, I believe that's that's what that's what Alex used primarily to get out of that guillotine. Man, he's known for having such good submissions, especially the guillotine, especially the triangles. Was there any part <clears> where you thought? this could be over, like all, all this, all the hard work and everything, this could be it. I, no, absolutely. Um, initially, I was like, yeah, okay, I think, you know, like Craig Jones and, um, and, and Volk have been working all, the, all of, all of, um, all of, all of Ortega's uh, uh, best submissions. Um, they've been working the, the escapes, like, yeah, just around the clock. So I, I wasn't too panicked until it got a, a part of the way in and I could see the distress in Bog's face, mm, mm-hmm. and then I, at, at that point, I knew, oh, this is this is troublesome. This is this is this is turned. This is turned from being, you know, from me being pretty, and the coach has been pretty relaxed about it, um, to something very very serious. And and Volk did allude to us after that. Oh, he was close. <laughs> he was close. He was close. Yeah. Well, so, well, I was going to ask you, man, a crazy fight, so many moments. What about that third round where Ortega's team had to sort of help him onto the stool? What were you thinking when you saw that? Mm. Yeah, look, I'm not I'm not that familiar with the rules, but, man, if you need to be physically picked up and put on your stool, there's a very, very strong case for fighter safety and, and, and uh, for the rest of it, um, you know, for Alex having won the fight at that point should not need assistance to get to your corner and to the stall. Um, if you're in that sort of state, yeah, you, 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 I, I don't know if his corner ever contemplated having a serious look at Ortega and whether he should be carrying on those rounds, but um, well, sometimes, you know, sometimes you send your fighter in there and he takes a little bit too much um, damage. You, you, you don't know what the effects of that little bit of extra damage is going to be in the long term. So, yeah, it's a tough one. I felt, yeah, I, I felt a little bit. I thought it was a little bit unjust. And when when Herb Dean came over to check his eyesight, you could see he was kind of looking to the corner and around to try and get a bit of a cheat code on how many fingers he was holding up. What were you thinking in that moment? Oh, he was stalling for sure. Like you got to be. I mean, if you know, you know. If you're on the inside, you know. He was stalling for sure. You know, like, and and what annoyed me a little bit is like you are taking away the fight from us and there was just no emphasis on like getting through that process of checking the eye getting the doctor in there heard going through it It was very lackadaisical and let's take our time and so that's not how that has to work you have to get in there check that eye as soon as you can and if you're going to carry on then you've carried on within you know within 10 or 15 seconds that's all it takes to check an eye and then you take, you're so lackadaisical about it and nonchalant, you just carry on. Before you know it, I'll take this on the back of a two-minute rest, a minute from the round and then a minute that Herb gives him. So, again, I felt it was a little bit unjust. Probably needs to be a little bit of cleaning up around that area. Um, yes, you want to look after the fighter's safety, but you've got to be very, very quick and efficient about the way you do that so that you don't take away the fight from the other person. Yeah, for sure. And it's crazy seeing Ortega, like after all that, 
putting on a pretty strong fifth round and, and looking quite good. I mean, both guys, just absolute warriors. Like I said, fight of the year candidate. And I've said this from the very beginning that Alex didn't get the credit that he deserved for beating most of the guys. Didn't get the credit that he deserved for being Aldo or Max or the second Max fight, which is still debated. Do you feel like this was the defining moment that Volko needed for people to sort of truly appreciate you know, the kind of fighter that he is. I feel, I was saying this to Luke Thomas, it's, it's harder to appreciate stats or close decisions, but when you see a guy in that deep of a guillotine or a triangle, it's so easy to appreciate, you know, the, the heart and the effort. Do you feel like this is the defining fight that he kind of needed? I think it goes a long way. I feel like Alex will have to have a few more. I think he's, I think is. Just, just like all our fighters in the world, like we're from a different market, we're from a different culture. Um, the way we carry ourselves, um, you know, is a lot different to this big American um, market. This is a big American culture. It takes a little bit longer for uh, for them to warm to us. And um, there's other things that have been have worked against Alex, like the, you know, no one wants to see their favorite, um, the favorite fanboy of, you know, like Max Holloway. Um, he, he's he's a, a, a fan favorite, and and Alex thoroughly beat him twice, so um, that didn't work against his popularity. It's like being the first person to beat Muhammad Ali. Like you get this, you get this wonderful. You know Larry Holmes. Mm. You get this wonderful victory, and then everybody or all everybody want to remember you for oh, you're the guy that beat our hero. <laughs> so, but but the thing is. You know, Alex is the best featherweight on the planet, and um, people come around. You just can't beat that guy. That guy's too far ahead of the rest of the division um, in a similar fashion to how Israel is. What will, at the end of the day, come through is that you just can't beat Alex. And then when you have, when you have an unbeaten guy that just keeps dominating, dominating, and proving people wrong, eventually the fans turn around and be like, you know, this guy is, is, is special. And uh, yeah, yeah, they'll take a fight, went a, lot, uh, a long way into getting him closer to that point. Uh, he probably got a bit of work to do. And uh, and that's good because Alec, work, Alec works really well in that environment where he has to kind of like still have something to prove for people to acknowledge that he, he, he's best out there. Um, you mentioned uh, Holloway. He's taking on Yair Rodriguez. I'm just wondering, man, um, <laughs> with that fight, do you foresee Holloway coming out on top? And do you think we might potentially see that Holloway trilogy? Because every time we speak to Alex, he's just, and he's got a great point. Like he had to prepare for Holloway two times in a row. Then he had to prepare for Ortega a couple of times because the first fight didn't happen. And now potentially having to prepare for Holloway again. Sam guy. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't like to talk about Holloway, but look, maybe I need to get some stuff off my chest. But look, uh, yeah, we're we're happy to have a Holloway fight at this point. And I, and let me just be a little bit honest. I, I wasn't happy to do the Holloway rematch. I don't know if I've ever made that public, but I was the one person in our team that said no. Um, let's not go to fight Arnold and let's not fight Max. It's too quick a turnaround. Um, and there's not enough. There's not enough in our favour, us being the champs, for us to go there. So I was dead set against it, and that's the that's the honest truth. Um, I just felt that uh, I think there was six six or seven months between the fights, and I felt that 
it was just an, it was it was an, an enough time for Max to make to get some really good to make some really good adjustments and get them under his belt to a level that he could actually use them in a fight against Alex. Seven months, I thought, was enough. And I didn't think it was enough for us to figure out what those change in strategies and skills were going to be for to Max, because that's a problem, because you're trying to guess something that you don't really have any hard evidence um, about what you're doing, a whole lot of guesswork. There's no hard evidence there. So I felt that everything wasn't in our favour um, for that second Max fight, so I was dead set against it. And um, uh, when we decided as a team to... to uh, attack that second max fight and we come up with a strategy that we thought worked we knew we'd be under the pump we knew we'd be under the pump because we were playing a guessing game as to what max was doing and there was a lot of stuff that we would have to work out on the fly for that fight um but in the end we got the job done and uh, um, another thing that annoys me about that fight is you like uh, people need to go back and watch that fight People need to go back and seriously watch that fight, slow mo it down, turn off the commentators and watch that fight. But the first two rounds were close and then after that, you cannot, not not any sane person can give Max the next three. It was, uh, it was the next three were shut out. Even statistically, the, you know, statistically the first two rounds were close. Within a shot of each other landed, landed. Okay? So you can't, so those are the those are the two rounds you can kind of swing uh, both ways. I'm talking about the, the the sorry the first three rounds of the first fight. Yeah, statistically, yeah, Alex took took off, but later on, yeah, it was all Alex, and the stats weren't close. The stats weren't close at all. So you, you, there's no guesswork there. If the stats were close, then you can swing both ways. But if the stats aren't close, then that's one-sided. That's one-sided. So in that second fight, yes, for the first two rounds, Max did keep it close, where it could swing either way. And I'm talking about statistically keep it close. But in the, in the third, fourth, and fifth round, if you're just going off the stats, they weren't close. And if you watch the fight and forget the stats, the last, the, the last three rounds weren't close in the second fight. You cannot give that fight to Max. The problem, ultimate problem, was you had the you had you had the fraternity against Volk. You had the commentators. You had two chum chum commentators, um, Cormier and and Holloway, who, who 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 I think they used to be in a relationship or something back in the day. <laughs> but you know, they're like ex boyfriend and ex girlfriend or something. They they love each other, and then you had them. You had Cormier building this rhetoric of how um, Max should have won, and then you had Dana jumping on it. Dana jumping on it. But go back and watch that fight. Go back and seriously study that fight. And there's no way the first fight absolute shutout. Of not one of the most brilliant performance I've, I've ever seen. Alex shut one of the greatest or the greatest featherweight out of all time. And then the second fight, Max made the first two rounds close. But Bob shut him out in the, in the last three in the second fight. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll fight next again, and we'll fight next again because Max has um, beat Qatar, uh, Calvin, 
Qatar. I might have butchered his name. And then now he's going to beat uh, Yair Rodriguez. So if he beats Yair Rodriguez, then we'll be happy to fight him. And, you know, I'm ranting on a bit, but we'll do a much better job. Because since, since the rematch, um, we've got two more bodies of work to look at what, what, what Max looks like after, the, after he's last lost to Alex. And that's very, very important information to us. We'll have the guitar fight and the Rodriguez fight, and that's going to make a, bit, a world of difference in that third uh, trilogy fight. Um, and that's my little rant on Maxi. <laughs> <laughs> Maxi boy, Maxi boy, got it. No, you know, I, I agree with you. I think uh, I haven't watched yeah. the fight in a long time. I do remember when I first watched it, the third one, the third round is what I found close. And I think the Weasel did a very good job of breaking it down, slow motion, blow for blow. And he came to the conclusion that Alex won. Um, I don't think it's as controversial as uh, people make it out to be. But anyway, it's okay. People are going to have their opinions. The comment section is going to be a dumpster fire after this. But I wanted to ask you, before we move on and talk uh, Dan Hooker, just quickly, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Nick Diaz just from a coach's perspective because I know you don't really pay much attention to the media and stuff, uh, but it was just such a bizarre lead-up. To, to the fight week, mm. to the fight. It went from welterweight to middleweight. People were trying to decode what the deal is with Nick Diaz, where people, you know, he's saying he, he doesn't want to be there, he doesn't want to fight, but then he's saying, oh, that's just kind of normal for me. And then the fight played out kind of, the first few seconds were scary, like this man looks very different to what he used to, but then he kind of had, you know, some good success. I just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, Nick, Nick Diaz, you know, as, as a whole and as a coach, if you saw any red flags there. Yeah. In the third round of the next fight, um, Alex um, outlanded him by 10 shots. Just, I know it off the back of my head. Just, How many? 10? Just to let you know. <laughs> How many? 10, 10 by okay. 10. Right. Not a small number by 10. Yeah. Landed 10 more punches. So the third round wasn't close at all. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, it's very, yeah, a little bit, I'm a little bit dis disappointed, I guess. I mean, I, I, I came through the ranks watching Nick Diaz and you know, a guy who's been off that long and who apparently had six weeks to train and um, with, 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 with uh, was it six years, I think? I think 2015 in Anderson Silver, yes, about yeah. six years, yeah. Yeah. And then I, why did he only have a six-week training camp? That's crazy. Like you can't, you can't do that to someone. As good a fighter as he is, which he showed, um, he should never have been in there. He should never have been in there, and 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 we can speculate about the reasons he was in there. He's obviously a big draw. Um, he brings a lot of uh, uh, he brings a lot of eyes to the sport, to the pay per view and stuff. But man, you can't have six years off jumping against someone who's been regularly fighting, someone who's as good as Robbie Lawler, do a six week training camp, and come in there and expect to perform. It was only the legend of Nick Diaz and and his just his natural ability and heart that kept them in that kept them in that fight as long as he did. But um, you could see that he he, he was just uh, out of shape and he, he just wasn't conditioned or ready for the fight. And um, I'm not going to speculate whether that's because he's got mold. For the moment, it's a it's a better better guess for me to say that. It was because you just had six years off and you had a piss poor training camp. Um, if, if he has, if he has a magnificent training camp, gets plenty of notice. He's got one fight under his belt, and then he comes in and has a fight, 
and you can see some neurological signs of you know deterioration and you can see some of those things that are those telltale signs of someone who's a little bit too old for the sport if we see that in his next fight after a perfect training camp then we can start to make some conclusions on that but for now the reason we saw we saw i think we have to put it down to six years off in a very poor training camp we can't come to the conclusion that it's um just because he's old and neurologically uh, damaged yeah. i think when i think when we saw the weight class switching to middleweight at the start of the fight week i think those are all, a lot of red flags and only a nick diaz let's be honest would be able to get away with switching weight classes at the week of a fight. I mean, that is some crazy stuff. But nevertheless, I think you bring up some great points. And physically, obviously, he wasn't in peak shape either. Let's talk about Dan Hooker, though, man, because he showed off his excellent wrestling and his win over Nazareth. But I was wondering, man, how troubling was it for you to come into this fight with Dan, knowing all the crap around the visas and all the drama around training back home? Now that he's actually got the win and it's said and done, was a part of you a little bit concerned? Oh, it, one of the biggest concerns of the, my last of my life for the last month and a month and a bit. I mean, I never, <coughs> I haven't seen Dan for five weeks. I saw him at the airport. Wow. We we weren't allowed to be in contact with each other. We got, we initially, uh, as you guys probably know, set up a bubble in our gym, which last time we fought we met all the legal criteria. They got shut down. Then we were a little bit naughty. And we snuck around and tried to train. Um, was that when the private eyes were like staked out the front of your gym, and there, there's all those seductive <laughs> photos of you coming in and out of different venues? <laughs> yeah, we got we got caught we got caught on the long range limbs by the uh, paparazzi, but they they they, they caught us sneaking around. Mm -hmm. uh, so we got shut down again, and then we were giving a pretty stern warning after that second time um, that if we continue with this. Um, there will be some very harsh consequences coming our way. So I, I actually had the, the chief of police um, drive to my my uh, residence to 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 visit me and actually tell me that uh, in person. And Dan had the same thing. So at that point, we realised we're gonna you're gonna have to do the rest of this camp uh, at your house in your garage um, by yourself with your family. So I mean, I mean. Tremendously, it worried me tremendously, tremendously. Uh, a big part of our game plan was a lot of wall wrestling. Um, Dan's got, you know, there's no padded walls in Dan's garage or training partners for the last four or five weeks. Mm. One of the major parts of our plan, we couldn't practice for the last four or five weeks. So it was like, yeah, very, very, very stressful. But um, we had to push forward with this fight. This is the only voucher we've got this year for any of the guys. So um, we pushed forward and uh, Dan showed, Dan responded the way I wanted to, him to respond. And that was to show this uh, young up and coming fighter that he's not ready for the top 15 yet. That Dan's in a, in a, in a, in a class and a level that um, is just a bit above the, the, the young fella at this stage in his career. Well, I think Dan really put on an inspiring situation there with the fights. He said this after the fight. He said, you stay committed. You don't quit when people tell you to quit. You keep persevering and you can make something out of yourself. I mean, that is that's the team captain of your team. And he is setting, I think, for a lot of people, one of the most inspiring sort of speeches and moments of the year when it comes to fighting. Uh, when, when you saw... When you see the example that he sets for your team and for your fighters, how does it make you feel? 
feel exactly like my team. Just absolutely inspired. Inspired by the man and the efforts he puts in and the commitment he has for the team and the sport. Um, uh, it, it, it just it warms my heart and um, yeah, it just, just, just makes me feel uh, very good about Dan and his contribution to the team and, and what he does for the sport and our country and to be a small part of his um, journey. It makes me tremendously proud and appreciative of, uh, of Mr. Hocker. Mm. Just quickly, just before, sorry to jump in, Cass, but just before we move on off Dan, huge, um, Islam's <clears throat> opponent, uh, RDA, he's out of UFC 267. Just want to quickly squash this because I know a lot of people would be like, well, what? I bet the UFC is going to call up Dan Hooker for a late notice fight against Islam. But, um, and I, I'm sure Dan would take it. He'd take any fight. But is it, with all the visa stuff and all the spots that you'd have to get to get back into the country, is it pr- pretty much uh, a sure thing that this thing can't happen because of all the rules and regulations about getting back into New Zealand? You already put, you already said it. Dan will never ever refuse refuse a fight, no matter what the circumstances. And not having a voucher, and have and and possibly staring down the barrel, being stuck over here for six months or even longer, um, will not make will not make Dan refuse a fight if it's offered to him. As far as I know, there's no fights being offered yet. But if, they, if Sean calls us up, I know one hundred percent. That Dan will take that fight. He will never refuse a fight. It don't matter who it's against, under what circumstances. Two days notice, one week notice, twelve weeks notice. It don't matter. He's taken it. So if that Sean does, um, if that fight does swing our way, then a hundred percent Dan will take it, and he will essentially be stuck with the. A few of my athletes are stuck over in America at the moment, unfortunately. Unbelievable, man. Um, well, all right, well, we got to talk about this big move, but just quickly, very quickly, before we do, you mentioned your fighters getting stuck. Don't get stuck eating the same high-sugar, high-calorie cereal you've probably been eating all your life, or don't get stuck avoiding cereal because of that very reason, the high-sugar, the high-calories. Enter Magic Spoon. Solves that problem for you. You can still enjoy cereal. It is the high-protein, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, wheat-free, naturally-flavored, totally delicious, childlike cereal for grown-ups. Where was this years ago when I was trying to be keto, trying to lose weight? This is your best friend. You can eat cereal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, not worry about the calories. Enjoy the sweetness. Enjoy the, the taste. It's a game-changer, isn't that right, Dennis? That's right, man. Make the weight class of life with Magic Spoon. Zero grams of sugar, 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories. Click the link below to grab a variety pack and try it today and use the promo code SUBMISSION at checkout to get $5 off any order or at magicspoon.com forward slash submission. Yeah, that's right. While we're helping you be the best version of yourself, you eat some Magic Spoon, you lose the weight, you're looking sexy, summer's around the corner, now you're going on dates, now you want to look as nice as possible, but you got to shave your balls. Don't use that rusty razor that's hanging in your bathroom for the last six months and you're going to cut yourself and your balls are going to look like they went five rounds with Alex Volkanovsky yesterday UFC 266 don't let that happen upgrade to the Manscaped lawnmower 4.0 where is it I had it here a second ago lawnmower 4.0 the best grooming tool 
in the world. Shave anything. Shave your balls, shave your back, shave your arms, shave anywhere, your armpits, whatever you want. It's got 7,000 RPM of pure power, the LED light. It's waterproof, so you can do it in the shower nice and quick. No one wants to make a whole fiasco and a scene out of shaving themselves. And the skin-safe technology, so never worry about getting cut again. The uh, Performance Package 4.0 comes with the Lawnmower 4.0. You get the Weed, weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer. You get the uh, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, which you can splash on anytime, the Performance Box of Briefs, and a travel bag. they got a sexy discount for you. Isn't that right, Dennis? That's right, man. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code word SUBMISSION today. Get some manscape into your life with the code word SUBMISSION and change your life forever. That's right. Speaking of changing lives, uh, the big story really here is the move of city kickboxing. Israel announced it. Dan's spoken about it. So I guess take us back to when did you first make the decision that, all right, we're moving to, I mean, I guess it would be America, right? When when did you make that decision and, and what exactly prompted it? Yeah, look, the boys have jumped the gun a little bit. Okay, everything's only in the very, very preliminary stages. Um, it's under very, very serious consideration. That's probably a better way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Very, very serious consideration. And, I mean, we made the move after the government changed, supposedly made improvements to the MIQ booking system, the immigration booking system, so you can come in and out of the country. The improvement was not an improvement at all. In fact, there's an argument that it was even worse. That's when we kind of had to had, had to take a step back and seriously, seriously consider that um, moving because we've been um, <coughs> operating under these circumstances for two years since coronavirus hit now, and we've kept the ball going, right? We've kept the ball going. Israel's had five bread down. We've started to keep the ball rolling, but uh, as a rough estimate, We've probably had half the amount of fights we should have in the last two years, which means which means they've all earned half as much as money. They've all got half as good as you would have, which when you when you fight, because fighting is a big part of progressing your your skill set and your mindset. So across the board, we're operating in the last two years. We're operating at a rough estimate of fifty percent. We just can't continue to do that. And, and, and that's testament to, to the team because it's operating at 50% and still putting ourselves in that tough echelon of people, of gyms and athletes and fighters in the world. Um, that's testament to my team, but we cannot continue to do this. So it, it seems to me like a move is pretty imminent. When you talk about a move, uh, what would that even look like? Because we, we saw that Israel also announced he's moving to the US as well. But does it is it going to be a situation where you guys find a space overseas and you I, sort of turn it into a CKB over there, or are you going to an established gym and sort of working from there? Because I know you have relationships with a lot of gyms over there as well. I I, I have it would I have ten fighters that fight primarily in this market in America, and they would all come over, and and that's the only reason. That's the only way I would consider over if they all came together and said we want to go. Uh, and they, at the moment, they've all put their hand up. When you got ten fighters um, uplifting and say you don't need to go to another gym, that's ten guys hmm. <laughs> all training with you there. So we would not join another team. We that's ten people. That's the team. We would keep things um, as they are. We would we would we would get our own facility, and we would uh, train 
and um, continue, everything would continue as per normal, but we would just simply be based um, on a different block of land. So it'd be city kickboxing just in a different city on the other side of the world, basically. Um, city kickboxing Texas, city kickboxing Las <laughs> Vegas, Miami, Chicago, I don't know. That's, that is crazy. <laughs> so I guess what what is uh, what is the next step? You said it's early considerations. What are the things that you ha- you guys have to consider? What what would finalize it? And how long would this be for? Would this be, f- what, for the next couple of years until MIQ goes away? <laughs> yeah, until the... Until, until until we can get in and out of our country and and not have to have uh, these guys' careers and earnings be uh, cut down um, because of not being able to get in and out of the country. So uh, I roughly estimate about a year. Could be could could be longer, could be less, but roughly estimate about a year. But what I would I mean what I would entail is I mean logistically it's 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 a nightmare. Like you'd have to get ten people visas for a start. You'd have to get a couple of coaches' visas. You'd have to get accommodation. You'd have to figure out what commitments people have here that they've got to get away from. You've got to, you've got to obviously, some of these guys have wives and families that have to be considered. You've got to move them, and then you've got to get them visas. It's never easy to get your family and partners and kids' visas as well. So, um, yeah, there's just so much that goes into it. So it's going to be, it would be a monumental effort to get that to happen. But we're seriously considering it, and. We're not, I mean, I'm not talking about doing this like this, this is this would have to happen this year. Mm. So, in the next few yeah. months, I, sorry to cut in there, Dan. The next few months, there's no, not yeah. much left. This is what four months left to yeah. the year, less nine, yeah. In the next few months, so we can start next year fresh and just be ready to just attack, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, straight away. It's kind of difficult for people to understand outside of New Zealand, but you guys are the pride of the people over there, along with all the other teams. It's like the All Blacks, obviously a huge, a huge part of New Zealand culture. But what you guys have been able to achieve, it's 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 remarkable. You you know, you brought the sport to life into another level down there and the people really appreciate it. Is it? I'm just wondering, for, and this is for the people that don't understand. I mean, from what I see the government is giving certain privileges and rights to certain teams and people. But for some reason, when it comes to kickboxing and what you guys are trying to do, you don't get the same support as some of these other institutions that New Zealand is supporting, like the All Blacks, like some of these other teams. Can you sort of break that down for us? And also, I suppose, how it feels that the country's sort of not getting behind you guys after you guys did so much for everybody there? Yeah, uh, that's all we want, really. We just want to be treated by like like some of these mainstream sports. And, uh, uh, and uh, I mean, the All Blacks can come and go when they want. The All Blacks are the exact same as us. And you can make many arguments across the board mm. that um, we, we, we are bigger than the All Blacks at the moment. But we can't get on the same level and the same par as them because we're not considered... Uh, I, I don't know what they don't consider us, but they earn a living just like that, like we do overseas. If, if they don't play rugby, they don't earn their money. All those 15 players don't get to feed their family. It's, it's no different to us. We just want the same considerations that they have to be able to leave, come in and out. We don't mind doing the quarantine, but just let us come in and out and we'll do our quarantine when we have to. But we just can't get those considerations. That's frustrating. And I, and I want to just also 
the people get behind us. It's the government, which is not the true, true representative of the people in many respects, that um, seem to not be supporting us. We we have public support. The New Zealand public, for the most part, uh, get behind us and love us. But the, the government, um, not so much. It's going to be very, very, very sad, sad day if, if, if we have to end up if I and the team have to end up leaving and um, basing ourselves overseas. It'll be done with a very heavy heart. Yeah, un- understandable because it shouldn't have to be that difficult. And like you mentioned, yeah. you know, the wives, you, you can find a new location, can't just go to Walmart and get a new wife and family, you know? Not not that simple. So, And New Zealand, and New Zealand, all, all, all things aside, unbelievable country. There's no place like it as well. So very difficult for all the families to have to move as well and miss out on living there as well. <laughs> is, so is it a case, because here's the thing, right? Like Dana White saying January for Rob and Israel, the rematch, uh, is it... Uh-huh. For Israel and Rob. Is it Rob? You're trolling again, Here, huge. He's trolling us again. Here we go. <laughs> no, I'm not trolling. No, I'm seriously not trolling with you. I don't know who it is. I know Robert. I know there's no papers signed. I can t- I can at least tell you that much. So who do you expect it to be next? Brunson. But it might be Rob, but I don't know. But who's the number one contender? Is it Brunson was, or Rob? I think it's Rob. Wasn't. Yeah, wasn't the fight supposed to happen UFC 268 and didn't work out because of visas, or is that all just false reporting? Again, like nothing in this world is is uh, done deal until it's uh, until your signature is next to it on a piece of paper. There's no piece of paper signed in. I just assumed Brunson because oh no, I know Brunt look Brunson. I believe since he last fought Israel's on a five fight streak and. Uh, Robert, I believe, on a three. You, can, you guys might be able to correct me if I'm wrong. I want to so, say three. Cannoneer, yeah. Till, uh, Gaslam. And, and Gaslam, right? And Brunson, yeah, yeah, Brunson's on five. So so Brunson's had five wins since, since he fought Israel, and Robert's had three. Brunson also had Till, Holland... Shabazian, uh, and he had a couple more in Heinish. Yeah, so I mean, till they've got in common, um, you got Shabazian, another up and comer, and then Holland. Those three names are just as big as the three names that Roberts built. Plus, Brunson's got Theodora and Heinish. Did you say? Yeah, correct. So, yeah, that's just my logic. I'm like, well, he seems to have put him put his hand up the highest, and. it looks like he's going to be next. Who would you but, rather? Because Dana White and, and Dana White's saying Rob, Rob, Rob. I think he even mm-hmm. Dana White was saying to uh, Nick Walshaw, he's like, "Yep, could be January. Looks like January likely for Israel and Rob." So who, who would you yeah, rather? Yeah, but it's all it's all it's all speculation. Even even from Dana White, we all know that. Come on, boys, you know that. <laughs> Dana White. If there's one person that says something and doesn't necessarily mean mean it or mean something else, it's Dana White. I can tell something signed. Then there's, there's, you know, there's, there's, it's not, it's not an actual thing. I, I who, who do you guys think deserve it more out of, based on what well, I just said, out of Brunson and Robert? When I everything think, is in, everything's in favor of Brunson when you look at, when you, when on paper. Brunson's an impressive, impressive, uh, got a pr- impressive run. But I think for me, Robert Whitaker, especially with that win over Jared Kanier, who many believed should have maybe been a contender. 
I think uh, I think Robert said Till, the who a lot of people were saying like Israel wanted to fight Till. So I think yeah, but Till, just... Till, Till got Till got beaten by Branson as well, and Shabazian and Holland, two up and coming fighters, very 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 dangerous. You, um, I'm not sure you if you're argue. trolling us or not. Are you being serious? No, no, I'm you not can... You, can argue, <laughs> okay. you can argue. You can argue that mm. um, you know there's a lot of people that argue Shabazian and Holland. Um, very, it was more dangerous than Cannoneer. So, you know, like, like I said, you just got to go back to like at the moment. It looks like Brunson's body of work since he's been in Israel looks more impressive than Robert's body of work. You can like, there's going to be people that argue, oh, but Robert beat Brunson. Yeah, he did, and that was in 2016. So that's because that was so long ago. It kind of makes that null and void. That, you know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm in Vegas right now. I can, it's, it's, it's only a couple of texts to get a quick meeting and try and figure this out, isn't it? <laughs> call Dana, call us back. We'll pick up where we left off. No, we'll let you yeah, go. Yeah, chuck we'll him on the call. Yeah, <laughs> we'll add him into the yeah. conversation. We'll let you go. Yeah, but, mm. yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to take up your, your whole night, huge. <laughs> Just quickly, do you think there should be more incentive for Israel because he's at this, at this point kind of lapping the competition? Do you think there's more incentive for that fight? Because it's also a big fight. It's a massive fight. Unfortunately, it can't happen in Australia and New Zealand like it should. Do you think there should be more incentive for Israel to take that fight? Against Robert, mm. yeah. Um, I mean, you're only you're, for me. You're only arguing that it's probably if there's a, a possibility that New Zealand and Australia get better, then that's a better domestic fight. So then do Brunson, do Brunson now, and do Robert later. Mm-hmm. Given that there might be a possibility that, that that fight might be able to happen down under again or in New Zealand. So then you just that's just a stronger argument that maybe we should do Branson now and reap the rewards of doing another big domestic fight with the possibility that um, our countries might might have come right and opened up by then. So um, I don't think he necessarily needs a bit more incentive, but um, yeah, I mean, there's, 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 look, there's two very good opponents that have clawed their way back and, and um, put their hand up and it's going to be one of those two, I believe. Okay. But you believe January? Sorry to jump in, Cas. But you believe January could be possible, or you think too soon? Yeah. Uh, January for sure. I mean, we would we'd, we'd, we'd be fighting now. Like Israel would be fighting now. It's just that we weren't we weren't ready to go. We weren't ready to go. Israel and some of the other guys, our coaches, weren't ready to go through what Kai, Brad, and possibly Dan are about to do, which is come overseas without a voucher and be stuck here for six months or a year mm. or longer. Mm. So Israel couldn't be fighting now, but he was like, I don't want to get stuck overseas. Um, hopefully by January, we've changed that situation. Um, that's the only reason. So yeah, January is a very real possibility because Israel would be fighting now if he could. Mm. The only thing that's stopping us is that um, getting in and out of the country. But by January, hopefully we've made some headway on that. So yeah, 1st of January, let's go or whenever. Okay, final, final thing, and I promise we'll let you go. I almost don't want to ask you because I don't want to keep you your whole night ruined, but um, Alex Pereira, the last man to beat Israel Adesanya, people are pretty excited because he's signed to the UFC. Do you feel like him and Israel will cross paths eventually? I know it's a long ways down the way. hasn't even debuted yet, but how do you feel about Alex signing with the UFC? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't mind it. Like, I... 
and and there is a distant. I feel it's a very very distant possibility they might meet. I think that this the discrepancy in skills. Um, I think there's already a massive discrepancy for a start. I think Alex, um, <coughs> despite Alex beating um, Israel twice, I think there's already a very big discrepancy. And I think the discrepancy in this sport is just a little bit too much between the two. So uh, that's why I think it's a very distant possibility. But yeah, I don't mind it. I think it would be it would be very cool. If Alex could work his way up the ranks and uh, get himself in a position where he can fight Israel again. Imagine what that sort of story would look like. And I know I know Israel would relish that chance to to um, to, to 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 get one back on on um, on Pereira. So that would be pretty cool if it happened. It's kind of a little bit of a pipe dream for me, I think, but yeah, yeah, it would be very exciting. Well, for now, guys, oh, and we appreciate the time huge, but guys, make sure to follow City Kickboxing on Instagram and Facebook for all the latest stuff at City Kickboxing. Big, big end to the year, though, man. You got, obviously, Brad Riddell. He's fighting UFC Fight Night 199. Kai Kara France versus Cody Garbrandt. I mean, that's going to be a huge one, UFC 269. And then who knows what January is going to have to offer. So a huge end of the year to the team. But for now, we congratulate you, sir. On, on a fantastic win at UFC 266, a fantastic night for the Anzacs. Thank you so much for joining us and best of luck with all the big moves, man. We can't wait to see what happens next with the team. Thank you guys, thank you. It was a pleasure again. Uh, yeah, till next time.